Welcome back to the Hall of Tyrannus podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Jim. And I'm Mark. And today we are continuing our discussion on Jacob. The last episode we left off, Jacob was fleeing from Laban. He had taken uh, his wages and his wives and children and was heading out of the land, uh, back to back to the land of his father, Isaac. And so uh, as he was fleeing, Laban begins to pursue him. And God speaks to Laban, uh, I believe it was in a dream. Uh, He speaks to Laban in a dream. And he says to Laban, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. He's essentially telling Laban, "You, You cannot pursue Jacob to do him harm. You cannot pursue Jacob to uh, damage him in any way. Looking back, this seems like uh, God is making good on his promise back in Jacob's dream and uh, when he was fleeing Esau, heading to uh, Laban to begin with, where he had a dream where he seen the ladder going up to heaven and the angels going up and down from it. And God promises Jacob that he will you know, essentially be there for him and, and make him into a great nation and and not abandon him. Well, it's just kind of interesting that the situation, Jacob is fleeing from Esau for stealing the blessing, and he's basically laying out in the wilderness using a rock as a pillow. And then he has this dream. And the interesting part is that at this point, Jacob really doesn't know God, and I don't think he really wants to know God at this point. I think he's just trying to get away from Esau. So for God to just come down in a dream and he tells uh, Jacob all the things that he's going to do for Jacob in that um, he says, I am the Lord, the God of, of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you... And in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, we've already talked about Jacob. We've already seen what Jacob's done. Okay, I'm, if it were me, I'd be like, no, I think we need to find somebody else (laughs) other than Jacob. But this is a promise that God is making at a time that, I mean, he's just laying there sleeping, trying to get away from his brother. And so I just shows that God is going to do what God's going to do and that everything that he does is already sovereign, sovereignly been planned and how he just, God's talking to Jacob like, this is just what's going to happen and it's no big deal and this is normal. This is God's plan. Right. Jacob Jacob can't do anything to screw it up. Well, it's not even about what Jacob does. Well, I'm, well that's what I'm, my point. That's my point. This is God's plan. Doesn't matter what Jacob does. Doesn't matter like we were talking about how Jacob is the essentially a total failure, and we see all these things that Jacob does wrong, but none of that matters in the grand scheme of God's plan. That's when God comes to Jacob and says, "This is what I'm doing, regardless of anything that Jacob has done or will do. God is going to be victorious." Is that the point you're making here? Yeah, and that God is going to do what God's going to do, and that the history. And the timelines that we see as human beings, looking at this, has already been set. There's, there's no surprises to God. It's going to go the way God wants it to go for his glory. 
and just looking at how God speaks to Jacob. It wasn't like he's, he came up to Jacob and said, hey, Jacob, wake up, wake up. Look, I want you to see this ladder. By the way, I'm God. Um, I'm the God of, of your father Abraham and Isaac. Um, I'm the great I am. I'm the ancient of days. And I created Adam and I did all these things. And I just want to introduce myself. And this is kind of the plan I've got for you. And for your life, was just, you know, checking out to make sure that you're okay with this. That's not how it went. And to me, it just, when he talks to Jacob, how he talks to Jacob, because the situation around Jacob has no inkling of, of what God's about to do in his life. You know, Jacob is going to be, he's, he's going to be a servant for God and God's going to use him to fulfill his plans. So what I'm saying here is you got a man who's doing his own thing, not pursuing God. And uh, God shows up and sovereignly elects this man to do his will, whether he chose to or not. I probably beat the dead horse, you know, with election and stuff. Um, but people people fight it so hard and they, they struggle with it so much that I I want it to be shown every time. And like, like hey, look, pay attention here. But yeah, very much. I, I don't see a whole lot. In Jacob's life, when I read through all of Genesis, where Jacob was doing much of anything other than trying to survive in life or better himself by ill game, but you know that was the other side. But you know he goes from the side of being young and and, and cheating and sneaking in every fashion to be able to make things to make ends meet, to at the end of his life just with his kids trying just to survive and being like, let's just not get ourselves killed here, you know. Well, it reminds you in the book of Judges when when Gideon is being called and he's cowering and the angel of the Lord looks to him and says, oh, mighty Gideon, brave, oh, brave Gideon. And you're like, is this the same guy that, that we just read a couple chapters ago hiding from, from the uh, Philistines? And, and the angel is calling him brave and mighty warrior and... Then you read what Gideon does, and he is a brave and mighty warrior going forward. And he does great things on the battlefield. And it's like, this, you know, this is God. This isn't, this isn't us. And that's kind of what uh, I think the Jacob's Ladder is all about. Is God is defining who Jacob is. And it's not based on anything but what God says he is. God's basis, not man's. Exactly. Yeah, I was doing uh, some extra reading on election just like two nights ago. And uh, you know, you were talking about, Mark, how a lot of times people don't like that. They don't like the idea of election. Very much. And I found that it's a really difficult concept, even wrapping your mind around it that, I mean, before birth, God knows what our fate is. Is fate the right word? I'm not sure. I, he, he knows what his choice is. I would use the word destiny. Uh, I know fate and destiny seem to kind of overlap. The reason, one, because destiny is, if if I recall, let me let me take a look here. There's no reason not to take a quick second here to to look up the definition. Events that will necessarily happen to a particular person or thing in the future. A hidden power believed to control what will happen to your future and fate. So. It's kind of like fate falls under destiny in in a way. So like the idea of like people all the time like, oh, make your own destiny kind of doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? You can't make something 
that has a larger power creating it. So by the time you've added in the word destiny, you've already null and voided the comment of make your own, you know? But when we use the word predestination, God foreordained. So that's all we're saying is God foreordained a time. He predestined. He pre-chose. And the thing is, is it doesn't mean this mechanical robot life, which a lot of people like to think that's what it's meaning now. You know, oh, everything that I do. Well, the thing is, is no one has a problem when God foretells and says, hey, you know, these wicked people are going to kill my son in this manner, and I'm going to have it done in this manner. No one has a problem with that, okay? But they have a problem when it comes to them and their own household and their own life. The thing is, is when the people killed Jesus, they killed Jesus out of their own wicked hearts and their own passions and desire to do so. That is the means at which God used. Repeatedly, God uses man's wicked heart to do his work all the time. He also uses godly men to do his work as well. But we see all through course of the Bible or the totality of the Bible, we see this thing where just because it's predestined wouldn't necessarily be a bad word. But yes, um, to go back to what you were saying, I actually lost myself. I apologize. But no, I actually want to jump in here um, with what you're describing as election sort of being that that uh, you said predestination that uh, I think is really going to uh, wrap up here what you're talking about. And I think, Jim, do you think that that's what we're seeing with Jacob here when God is declaring what he's going to do to Jacob? Oh, by far. I mean, this is not there are more important things going on than Jacob's life. And I, that may sound weird, but God has thousands of years planned from Jacob. He's got bigger plans than than what Jacob's doing right now and those types of things. And he's chosen Jacob, I think, to see or to prove that it is my choice. You know, we look at Esau and we look at Jacob on their own merits. Which one are we going to say we would probably like better? I'm going to go more with Esau's personality, to be honest. I mean, he worked hard. He he, he was out out taking care of the fields, doing the, the, the manly job. Where do we see Jacob? In the kitchen? I think, yeah, I think the better question, I want to reword your question, who would you hang out with on a Saturday night? Because I wouldn't hang out with Jacob on a Saturday night. I'd go hang out with Esau, you know what I'm saying, just like what you're saying. He's just a, sounds like a much cooler guy by our social standards and i just want somewhere to hunt can i go hang out with esau yeah yeah exactly you know you can you can go out there you can you can shoot anywhere you want you can hunt anything you want that was a different time man Be nice <laughs> and so. and honestly i think if if let's say you were a friend of the family and you're watching everything go down with the blessing let's be honest who are you really going to be mad at esau or are you going to be mad at jacob which one's going to have the the poor reputation is it going to be esau or is it going to be jacob overall i see i see some it's significant everything that happens it's hindsight's nice having the bible to look at it and and see it from the hindsight perspective so because you 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 easily get an understanding that it's bigger than us you know it's more but to see how big god's spectrum is and vision and plan and I, I'm using all the wrong words that I, I, I think are too cliche and stupid, but 
what God has going on and what we're doing is it's actually the same thing because he's using every single thing. But like what we think our goals and what our plan and plot for life is and what God, it's completely different. You know, sometimes I think on certain people, it rolls out being the same, but the purpose for it is different. So you can have a person living their normal life, never loving God, doing wicked things or doing just mundane, useless things, not even wicked things. Okay. And it affects everybody around them, which affects the whole world eventually. Do you, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, not the whole butterfly effect, but that general idea. Like, everybody somehow affects everybody around them, and that carries on. But the thing is, is when they die, it ends up landing there. You know, they didn't serve God. They lived their whole life, you know, doing either wicked or mundane acts. And because their hearts were wicked... God is glorious. God is seen big when we get to heaven, you know, and they're bowing before him as Lord at the, the seat of judgment, you know? So, I mean, it is, if for me, looking at the Bible and election is not difficult, especially the more I read it, it gets easier and easier and easier as I go through the Bible, solely on the fact that he says, I'm Alpha Omega, I'm the beginning and the end. He knows everything. You know, um, when it came to my understanding that, you know, that there was the whole in the beginning, God created blank, blank and blank. Well, when it says in the beginning for what we have recollection or understanding of what a beginning is, God is outside time, clearly outside of time. So, you know, I, I, any metaphor I'm going to use is going to be stupid but I almost look like all of time is encased in this glass ball and God is outside of it. So it's not hard for him to look and know anything in any time frame, but he's already predestined it before, you know, anything happened. He foreordained all these things. One people could say, well, yeah, he's looking at that thing and he's looking down this corridor of time and he saw that this was going to happen. And what the problem is, is we clearly see repeatedly in scriptures where it says that, you know, no man can boast when it comes to his own salvation, or we see things where he says, even with Jacob and Esau, he talks about, you know, one that he loved and the other one he hated. That's where we started with the last time. You know, Jacob, I love you, Esau, I hated. You know, when you get in that conversation there, he literally states it's because he chose them beforehand so that it was by neither one's merit as to why he loved the one and hated the other. It solely lands on God. And when we see that, how big God is and his plans are and his purpose, for him to simply just say, hey, I'm choosing to rescue this person. I'm choosing not to rescue this person. That idea of him doing that is very simple. Why he chooses people is where the difficulty would come still at times in my heart. Because I'm like, well, why couldn't you choose this person? Why not? save this family member of mine that I love dearly, that vulgarly hates you, you know? And, you know, so it's hard for us to under, for me, it's hard to understand that part. The election part, I've never had a tough time with. I guess it was easy because when I first became a Christian, I went to a very hardcore Pentecostal church and I I couldn't tell if we were, uh, you know, Christians or Jewish because we talked more about, you know, the Jewish 
God's chosen people, and somehow there was this weird intertwining how we were God's chosen people, but yet it was the Jews who were the God's chosen people. But then by the time I read the word, I'm like, you know, technically we are God's chosen people. Every person who is a Christian, we are God's chosen people. So that kind of came easy, but then I go back and talk to those same people, and they're telling me that, you know, I'm all wrong, and it's horrible, and, you know, God doesn't elect us, and, you know, it's our choice. And I'm like, where did you ever get this idea? Where has this ever been a thing, you know? And how have we dominated Christianity with this idea that somehow it's our choice and our thing? And I guess my heart, what that makes me recall to is the garden where Satan's thing was like, don't you want to be your own God? Don't you want to be like in charge of everything? And it, it kind of looks like that same thing. Now, am I saying Calvinism is perfect and Arminius is wicked? And I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it seems like a fundamental flaw in the thinking on how that would be. If someone's misunderstanding, I get it, you know, and, and there's there's should be grace there. And there is, for me at least, it's not it's not tough for me to, to go that way, Eric, to think about election in that regards. I think you misunderstood what I was saying. I must have. I must have. <laughs> Sorry for going on forever about something I misunderstood. I'm just saying for people in general, you know, especially a new Christian. Well, to that's what have... I, I guess that's what I was referring to the whole time is not even new Christians. I think, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I have... Friends and people I very much love that have been Christians longer than I have, and they can't wrap their head around election. What's well, tough for a egotistic human race who thinks everything revolves around us to accept the fact that God's in control of everything; He makes all the decisions, and that that our our footsteps have already been set. And that's where the difficulty comes in, though. Like Mark was saying. Why doesn't God choose this family member or this friend or this person I care about? Why hasn't he chosen them? Why they aren't part of the elect, uh, the elected people? And that's where there lies that difficulty to believe that they never had a chance to begin with kind of deal. Because if, if God hasn't chosen them, if he didn't choose them before they were born, that's it. Because you got we're in, we're in a realm of time. I mean, like you were saying, any way that you describe God being outside of time, it's not going to make sense to us as people. It's and like you're so, always going to fail to to explain the Trinity. You'll never get the Trinity properly explained. But yes, but what were you saying? I, I guess the closest thing I could get to to that kind of of analogy, and I mean. If we could understand it, we would be God. I mean, let's let's make sure we make that clear, okay? This is right. not a concept that humans can can grasp. It's beyond us. But the only way I could describe it is if you created a video game and you created characters on the video game and you decided what the characters were going to do on the video game. Now, if you're a character in the video game and the, the programmer has already written the storyline for that character. How is that character going to look at that or look at themselves? Probably a horrible analogy. Well, it's about as, it's a really good one actually, I think, but the only way it falls short is personality and consciousness. The character doesn't have consciousness, nor does the character have its own personality. 
because his personality was created by the programmer. So the argument, philosophically, would be, oh, I think, therefore, I am kind of garbage. You know what I'm saying? That's where people are going to be hung up. because, And I've seen it before. I've heard it before. The... I can stand up, walk over there, and turn the light off. Or I can sit here and leave it on. It's totally my choice. That is where you get hung up. Because when everything we do is a choice we make through our consciousness, it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that the ultimate plan, the ultimate goal, everything going on around us is preordained by God. And that's that's the difficult part. And if if you don't have difficulty with that, sorry Mark, I think you're missing something. Because God isn't simple. He's not simple, he's not basic, he's not uncomplicated. If he was, he wouldn't be God. He'd be a character you made on a video game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So so back that trade up where you used apologize something to me cuz I was looking up uh, some scripture here. What were you? I I must have missed something. You said it. You said that the concept that essentially it's not difficult that you don't have any difficulty with it. I said you should have difficulty with it. If you don't, you might be missing something. Here's the thing. I I, I think God has has blessed me very much with an understanding of His sovereignty. When He said, "Let there be light," and it happened, and everything that He's ever said after and prior. Well, I mean that's the first thing we know in regards to the process of creation. But the thing is, is Everything that God has said has come to pass, and God has different type of wills, okay? Um, R.C. Sprawl has a wonderful book on that, if anybody wants to check that out. With understanding God's sovereignty and God being God, if God said people were potatoes tomorrow, we're potatoes. That's it. I have no, I have no difficulty in God being like, thus saith the Lord, and this is this. But you're talking about an action of God. So, I'm talking about an action of me getting up and turning on the light, turning off the light switch. So he builds our character. We we are created. There is this again. There is this level of autonomous. It's like an autonomous car. You know, you buy the Tesla. It has all these features in it. It has these funny programs built into the car. You know, like ludicrous speed and all these other things. But the thing is. That car was created, it created with the function, although it can drive autonomously, it was created. The difference is, is the road it's heading down does not like the storyline of, of how God has designed life. I don't see where our actions have any weight or bearing on God's timeline or God's plan or purpose. Every single thing we do is not a surprise to God. There's nothing that we do. That where God's like, gee, Willikers, I didn't see that happening. It's all there. No, I, you know, and I've made that argument in the past. I mean, especially on sex. Uh, a lot of times, and especially if you look into the history of the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church was like all against, like, for some reason, I'm not sure why, but they're against couples, like married people having sex. And it wasn't like God created Adam and Eve and then went and made a turkey sandwich and came back and was like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? You know, he's not surprised. He, he knows everything i agree with you 100 percent. like if i do decide to get up and turn on turn or turn off the light switch that's not a surprise to god okay if if Man, anything i must be epically lost at this point well One my point is it's difficult for other people my point is that this is something that 
it is difficult for new Christians. It is difficult for society as a whole. And it should be difficult. And I don't think it should be. I think there's an I think there is a an absurdly difficult problem with I think there's more of an issue with, with sovereignty than anything then. Period. I think there's more of an issue with sovereignty than anything at this point. If someone's having a problem with this. Because again, like I said, God is absolute. I cannot stress absolute here enough in control. And yeah. then someone's going to come back again. But now we're robots. It's not. It was him knowing, him using, him allowing, and him creating all function so organically, perfectly well, that the good and bad that is happening in our life are the exact same things he is also wanting to have happen. So I can back what I can back up what you're saying with the text. Okay? So... God tells Jacob that he's going to build him into, uh, you know, number like the sands of the sea, I believe it was. The dust of the uh, earth. Or, or dust of the earth. That's stars even more. Stars in the sky. Stars in the sky. All that stuff. Okay. But what does Jacob do on his way to meet his brother Esau? He sends him tons of gifts. He splits his camp into two. Says, oh, if he attacks the one camp, the other will surely survive. He sends all these gifts, excellent gifts, you know, double the number of female livestock as the male, sends servants up ahead of him, and then heads out there, bows down to Esau seven times as he approaches him. He is scared of what Esau may do, coming at him with 400 men. After Jacob has been told, basically twice, because I'll even include the time that Jacob is told is talk or wrestles with God as the Bible puts it. Uh, we can talk about that here in a moment. But Jacob is still fearing for his life and the lives of his people there. And God still he came, you know, came to Jacob and told him exactly what he was going to do. And yet for some reason Jacob isn't grasping this. He thinks the end could be nigh that Esau could end him right there. Do you think God would end him and his descendants right there? Allow that to happen after what he told Jacob? Not a chance. No matter what Esau decided, not a chance. So in short, you're saying the human race is stupid. <laughs> well, in short, in short, what I'm saying, yeah, I mean, okay, okay, yeah. Because, yes, because Jacob, like we were just talking about, is chosen by God, as Jim was saying. He's the one that God chose. And even Jacob can't quite wrap his mind around this fact that he is elected by I mean, God. I think I mentioned it last time, that I, and y'all help me recall it, but uh, with uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal, you know, calling down the fire, you know. Did, did I mention that last time? I can't remember. I don't think so. Okay, so, no. you know, Elijah, you know, they go there and they're, having a, a a contest on whose God is better, like real God or fake gods. And, you know, they, they go and they have this thing like, oh, what you need to do is you set up this, this uh, altar with all this wood and you pray to your God and whoever gets theirs to light first is the winner. And these guys are sitting there, they build this up, they, they, they're doing their dances and sacrifices and scarring themselves and all these crazy things. And he's like, dude, 
Maybe your God's off taking a crap. Okay, sorry if that's too far for this podcast, but there you go. He's like, maybe he's off using the restroom. And they go more intensely into their, you know, uh, rituals and their God never shows up. And then he's like, tell you what, let's go put a bunch of water on it. And he's like, dear God, boom, wipes it out, burns everything to a crisp. And then he's, he knows who God is, has this deep understanding, has a relationship to where he's like, you know, hey, Lord, maybe a little bit of fire here, you know, and it happens. And then yet he hears that the queen is wanting to kill him and he runs into the wilderness and hides. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, we're pretty stupid, I would have to say, realistically. And that's where my brain went to. You know, we're pretty stupid in regards to when we have a promise of God, especially when there's like this amazing like song and dance that goes along with it. You know, this like huge, like big to do, like actual voice from the sky thus saith the lord we're physically hanging out wrestling you know with each other lord kind of situation and then we're still like i don't know i don't know if this is really going to happen this is yeah we're pretty stupid i think we need to keep in mind too with elijah we have to keep in mind what his life's been like up to this point i mean he's had jezebel basically murdering every true prophet and hunting him down for how many years decades so when when we go forward and we see we see Elijah on that hill being depressed after the day after knowing that Jezebel's there that's a situation that God hasn't changed. Yes, God took out 8 900 priests, evil wicked priests, just wiped them off off the plane and yes, God's might and power was shown right there. But God didn't change the situation. God didn't change what he was going to expect Elijah to do. God didn't change the fact that Ahab and Jezebel were still king and queen over Israel in those situations. So when I look at Elijah, for instance, and I'm going, you know, I, I can kind of understand why he's there. The other aspect that we have to do going forward is God never judged Elijah for feeling that way. No, he used it. In fact, we reiterate the point over and over and over again. He used him going out to the wilderness and then going to the lady's house with the son, the whole process he used, you know, and that's how God does every single time. But I think in that story, and I think we can see it here, like in the wilderness, when the angel comes down, Elijah wants to focus on how he feels, and the angel's saying, no, you need to eat, you need to get rest, we need to take care of you, you have a long journey ahead. And when we look at Jacob, God says back in G Genesis 28, verse 15, He's going to see Laban, but God tells him during this, he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. I, you know, Jacob's running from Esau. I, I don't think he's planning on coming back. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's got a brother who hates him because he stole a blessing, which is like top, top shelf type stuff that he stole. He's not planning on coming back, but God's saying, no, I'm going to lead you back. So when we go forward, where does God lead him back to? Bethel. Oh, wait, that's the same place he was here, wasn't it? I mean, this is all God's, God's plan. This is all what God is doing. This has nothing to do with, with Jacob throughout this whole, this whole story. And I think sometimes God shows us his sovereignty and his power even through our human emotions, even through how we feel. 
God says, I am leading you to this goal and I'm going to lead you home. I'm going to take you home. And along the way, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to have those intimate times with you like he did um, later on when he when Jacob wrestles with, with God and that intimacy there and how that changes Jacob, how he wrestles with God. And I was kind of looking at that. I don't mean to be skipping ahead, but comparing that to God's interaction with Jacob here where he's telling him what he's going to do and the impact that those two things have on Jacob, which is interesting. You're referring to when he wrestles with God? Yes. That part. <clears throat> Let's talk about that. Let's talk about when Jacob wrestles with God. I'm going to read Genesis 32, 25 through 29. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. I'm assuming that, because to me, when I first read this, it just doesn't seem like this is God that he is wrestling with. What I'm reading here is that he's wrestled with somebody. The Bible says, calls him calls him a man. The man says that Jacob has striven with God and with men, but he never says that he is God. But then I look at it, and he is the one who renames him Israel, and we see God do that at Bethel later when he tells Jacob to go and build the altar at Bethel. God renames him Israel there as well. I have difficulty with this passage here. I feel like it's got some parts in here that don't seem to make sense to me based on what I'm, I'm reading into it. Like what I'm reading into it is that, you know, this is described as a man. The man never says he's God, but he blesses him and renames him in an act of authority as though he is God. And then he also says, why is it that you ask my name? As if Jacob should know that he is God. Daniel 3. Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get put in the burning, fiery furnace. And when they see them in the burning, fiery furnace, they say, hey, are these guys shake and bake yet? You know, they've been fully cooked to a crisp. And they say, nope. Not only is there three guys in there, there's a fourth guy, there's a fourth man, and he looks like God. And the thing is, is we see multiple times where it talks in the Bible about an angel comes down, and then it's like, <laughs> and it was God. Sometimes it's not easy to, to fully grasp the language. When you tie in other pieces together, and you also take a whole Bible and look at what you get to see at other times... It's not as difficult in my mind to see it that way. So I, I guess I don't struggle with it there. That would be a quicker reference to go to. It's still the passage just, it seems so choppy. The way it's the way it's described, the way that it first describes Jacob as wrestling with a man, and he wrestled with him all night, all night, until the day breaks. Mm -hmm. So no rest, no stop, constantly going. So, I mean, at least, hey, Jacob, you know, he might have been a little bit cowardice. But he, at least he was fit. He was able to wrestle all night. It's still the passage, the way that it's worded, the way that I read it. And my problem, too, that I have is 
when I read these parts of the Bible, there's so many parts where it has these little titles above the beginning of a section. And I immediately, I don't take those for, those aren't scripture. Those aren't scripture at all. And so I start reading it looking for what it is that they have found. And oftentimes it's a little more, I look, I look into the, I look at the details. I'm a very detail oriented person. So when I look at the details, especially like when you're describing like Daniel, was that the words of the Bible or was that the words of people describing as a man? Now I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm not saying he didn't wrestle with God, but I am saying that these kinds of scriptures, I, I don't just take what the heading says and say, oh yeah, that's what it is. I look at those details and far too often people use those headings to get exactly out of the Bible what they're getting out of it based on the heading and they shouldn't. So that's why I'm always looking for those details. And so in looking at those details, my question is now when he renames Jacob Israel, then why does he do it a second time later at Bethel? Now, the only question I can have here, which would definitely clear things up for me, is when in verse 28, where the the one who Jacob is wrestling with says, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven, striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Is that something that he's looking throughout the history of Jacob and said you have strived against men and against, and with God? now and you've prevailed is that a reference possibly to jesus because he's fully gone fully man that he's just done and has prevailed so also we see jesus like essentially jesus a few times in the old testament where if we can you know we look at like okizadak or you know i believe like in daniel that's you know not jesus obviously himself but that would be jesus who is god and we know that god comes down in the form of man as Jesus. So certainly could be the same thing going on here where, you know, as it says, you have striven with God and maybe this is the time that he was, you know, striving with God. But I still have that when I read these sections, like I said, I don't take that top tie, the, the uh, heading there to be any kind of scripture. And I, I want to know exactly what's going on here. And like I said, the, the man never says that he is God, but he definitely implies it. Well, you mentioning Melchizedek, I would say it could be in regard to that. So the thing is, is I, I've not, I guess I've never, in this particular section of scripture, I got it in my mind somewhere down the line that it was God. So I had no problem seeing it when I read it as God. And I guess I was looking in the lens of literally when you see times where you see God had been in flesh, you know, like in Daniel. However, we could look at it in their form of Melchizedek, because Melchizedek was clearly, was just a type and shadow. The, you know, a lot of people were like, it was Jesus, and that's why we... You know, give money, which those a lot of times those are people really trying to look for your pocketbook and not give you Jesus in the first place. But but the whole thing there is maybe it was a man and God was using it as a type and shadow. I never thought about it from that perspective. I don't have the actual answer. I've never really put that much thought into it. I'll be honest. I still there think it's go. God because of verse 29. When Jacob asks 
him and said, please tell me your name. But he says, why is it that you ask my name? It almost sounds like a rhetorical question to me. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. That's why, yeah, like when I was first reading and I was like, because I'll be honest, when I was first reading and I was like, how do I know this to be God? You know, this could be anybody. Just the Bible doesn't specifically say it. So I have to put my mind to it. Kind of does in 30 because when he names the place, it, it stands for, for I have seen God face to face. So somehow he got the idea that it was like legit God, but at the same yeah. time, let's, uh, yeah. So he does say that. And, and I, I agree with you. <laughs> I mean, and, like, I so, mean, but I mean, let's, let's, uh, kind of already says it. <laughs> let me, let me jump, let me jump to another part here though. When Jacob meets Esau, he says to him, uh, chapter 33, verse 10, Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, this is, uh, Esau's like, why are you sending me all these gifts? You know, take it back. These are yours. You know, I, I'm just, Esau actually turns out to just be really happy to see his brother, which is, you know, a great little ending here. Nothing uh, fantastic going on there. But so Jacob says, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God. And you have accepted me. Like you said, Jacob says... I have been face to face with God. And then he says his brother's face is like seeing the face of God. Well, so do you think Esau was just like he was that good looking and cool and just like shining in the face? No, but maybe, maybe <laughs> after getting his hip broken and knowing who his brother was, he was like, whoo, you know, I've seen God face to face. And now I came here, and I thought we were going to have to wrestle all over again with me and Esau. So it was like seeing the face of God. I it could know. be, yeah. I don't, I be, don't, but... I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the problem is, is taking taking some of these stories. You have time; the words preserved well. You have language change; the word is preserved well. And when you're looking at the Bible from the lens that matters, versus some of the breakdowns that we try to do. The goal of the entire Bible is to provide a means of reconciliation between man and God. The Bible is crystal clear in that. In this entire conversation we've had with Jacob, the process of God's reconciliation with man and a sinner is very clear. So that's not so difficult. Some of these other things, I don't think that they're not useless to be addressed. You know what I'm trying to say? But I'm okay with not fully grasping them. Like, there's some... It definitely doesn't have anything to do with salvation or... What doesn't? What we're talking about this part? Yeah, like, this you part... know, just kind of breaking down these finer details yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These don't. You know, these don't. These it, don't change that. No, it doesn't change anything if... Are they worth looking into? I can actually say... I can actually sit here and say, you know, and which I don't... I. I, I think I do believe that, uh, you know, God has set this up in some way where Jacob essentially wrestled with God. I don't think it's quite that cut and dry, but that is what I believe. But if I did say or somebody else said, yeah, I don't think actually that was God, that's fine. That doesn't mean that that person's not saved. That doesn't mean that person is a, a heretic or anything like that. There's definitely that room. It's definitely an open-handed issue. I now you're going to make me want to do this. I would love to see some commentary or not some understanding like DA Carson 
He's a very studied person in the Old Testament. Love to go look at something like what he has on on this stuff to see where his breakdown would be. But I'm only so smart. I've got the Baker's concise commentary over there. I've got the Matthew Henry's concise commentary over there. And i got the Matthew Henry full commentary over there. You can grab any one of those three. i got the Matthew Henry in my, in my Bible. I'm the only one that owns books anymore, aren't I? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I have Matthew Henry under my bed. But I also think we need to go back a little bit because God did walk with Abraham before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, yeah, I thought about that too. So for God to be on earth in a form that that men can recognize is, is not something unheard of. No, it's definitely not. And that uh, part where God is walking on earth and he goes to Abraham, I believe he even sits down and eats a meal with him. Yes. And he's actually the one that goes to Sodom and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. and he's the one that is with Lot, and he's the one that they want to rape, the the citizens yep. of Sodom and Gomorrah, wants yeah. to rape yeah. God. Going back to Jacob and wrestling with God, I, to me, it doesn't seem like that would be that far-fetched. Certainly not. That's why I think I lean towards it definitely being God or something that God has definitely created or or you know, yeah i don't even want to go there it's an embodiment of god or something of that type well also want to go back to verse 25 chapter 32 where it says when he saw that he had not prevailed against him speaking of i want to say god um he touched the socket of his thigh so the socket of jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with it touch seems like a an an interesting it wasn't like they were wrestled and he grasped and he forcefully or he did something. It's like he touched it and it knocked him out of his socket. By the words, I mean, obviously it would allude to that. But that's always how I literally pictured it in my head. Like it was just like a little like simple, not like this, like pop and had to like break it out of there. You know, it was in my mind, this person was condescending even in the process of wrestling. Jacob, based like off that, there was this like I'm restraining myself massively in this fight. Yeah, and when like you pointed that out, I have always seen it in that ma- fashion. And I don't know if it's just because like I'm looking at God as being really big and you know have taken headings and that you know verse in thirty um, as like it's legit God, but like it always in my mind it was just like a. There you go. Just a little tap here. We're just going to pop this thing right out. <laughs> but Jacob then holds on to him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ain't, ain't, yeah. I mean. I just think that's awesome. Yes. Because here's this. He's been wrestling with with uh, this man, as the Bible describes. And just with a touch, pops Jacob's hip out of the socket. And Jacob grabs onto him. You're not going anywhere. And so I get a blessing. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. He says, let go of me. Day is broken. We're done. He's like, oh, no. Bless me. So does Jacob know this is God? I believe he does. Yeah. I believe he does. And I think the way that the conversation goes kind of shows that whoever this person is has to have authority. He's speaking to Jacob with authority. It's not like you and I would be talking, Eric, and and we'd be wrestling. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to change your name. (laughs) Yeah, that would be a little messed up, man. (laughs) Because you'd be like, you know what, Jim? I, I, I just don't think so. Let's, let's go at it again. But that's not how Jacob is, yeah. is responding. It's almost like in desperation, he's holding on saying, I want you to bless me. I have a 
again, a deep, deep just doubt that Jacob would do that with a man, seeing how much wealth he has and, and where he comes from. I, I, I just don't see Jacob and his personality saying that there's a man who's so far above me that I'm going to wrestle till I am deeply hurt severely or lose my life to get a blessing from you. Matthew Henry seems so convinced that it was God as well, even though his conversation starts with being an angel. But he gets to the point, which is pretty cool. He, he, he says that, to note that he does not say, in this place I wrestled with God and prevailed, but instead he says, I saw God's face and my life was preserved. The last thing, and I'll leave it alone, I promise. Going back to verse 28, just in the grammar in and of itself, when it says, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God, capital G, and with men and have prevailed. So even in the grammar, I can't see how it can be anyone else but God. Yeah, I think you're indicating the whenever God is capitalized in the Bible, that is where the four-letter consonant word for God is used, I believe. Are you familiar with that? I am I am not as familiar with the Greek and the I think Hebrew. Was, yeah. So, in the Old Testament, I know there is the, I believe it's called the four-letter, cons- the four-consonant-letter four word for God. I, I have to look that up, what exactly it is. But basically, they wouldn't even fully spell, because it was, it was Yahweh. They wouldn't even fully spell Yahweh. They would leave out the, you know, essentially the A and the E is kind of how it translates. They, they, they would only do uh, the consonants because of something to do with like a fear of like misspelling God's name, you know, like it would, and you know, to be, yes. Yeah. To, to be fair, let's say you're one of these scribes and you're copying the book of Genesis or Deuteronomy or whatever. Um, or let's say, uh, a better one. You're copying that part where I believe it's Solomon is having the Ark moved into the temple. And one of the guys, the, the Ark kind of like, like wobbles a bit and the guy reaches out to stop it and God <laughs> strikes him down, kills him. So you're you're copying this part of the Bible down and you're like, Oh, oh, that's that's serious. What about that that like did I leave a letter out back there? <laughs> you know, now you start getting a little bit worried. You're like, here's the word of God and I'm making a copy of it. And uh this guy just reached out to study the ark. Uh, you know, clearly whatever is here with me, this needs to be exact. And so uh, that kind of carried over where they, I mean, obviously that's a made-up story that I came up with, but like Mark was saying, they're worried about the blaspheme. So the capital G God in the Old Testament is that that word, that name for God in the Hebrew. Absolutely. And then the last thing, I'm sorry, I said it was the last thing before. I tore a tiny little fib, I apologize. <laughs> the fact that Jacob changes a little bit after this encounter. Okay. Yeah. Well, can you continue on with that? Because that's kind of, I actually thought the same thing. Where, where do you see the change at? I see it in just the fact that he's not as arrogant. You see a little bit more humility in him. Like when he speaks to Esau, just the way he talks a little bit. So uh, let me tell you where I seen it and maybe I'm wrong. Tell me what you guys think. He goes ahead of his wives and children to meet Esau. He has gone from fleeing from his brother and fleeing from Laban to now he is approaching and now he's approaching Esau ahead of 
his wives and children, he is the first to reach Esau. I feel like the previous Jacob, before he wrestles with God, the previous Jacob would have sent other people in front of him, and he might have actually tried to flee from Esau again. Very possible, but I have to go up to verse 2 of 33. Well, let's just start with verse 1, chapter 33, when it says, Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. He put the maids and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. And, you know, it's already, oh, here comes Esau. Leah, why don't you go ahead first? Well, no, re- keep reading. Right. Because it says he, he, he was ahead of all of them. Oh, no, I understand. But, I mean, at first, he's kind of got things in priority. So, well, so you we can have priorities, see... Jim. <laughs> you got to have priorities, you know. I mean, come on, man. <laughs> So let's let's talk about a bigger but, context here, though, real quick, because I just had this thought and I want to share it. So when Jacob, he strives, you know, has this time where he wrestles with God. And then we're talking about how we see we start seeing changes in Jacob. And I feel like one something can be said here for we call it, you know, wrestling with the scriptures, as we call it, with these things that. Maybe we don't fully understand, or even that, you know, our flesh doesn't like, and we wrestle against that. And we start to see changes in ourselves as we grow closer to God, to Jesus. And this is sort of symbolic, where Jacob has wrestled with God, and now he's become a new person. So once we start to wrestle with the scriptures and we really start getting into it, that is when... uh, that sanctification process really starts taking hold of us. It starts getting into our flesh and separating us out. Yeah, but I, I think for Jacob, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think Jacob is now realizing that he's not indestructible. He's not as confident as he once was. I don't think he thought he was indestructible before, though. Um, That's why he ran. Well, he ran out of fear. Yeah. But, I mean, he was, like dealing with laymen, there wasn't... There was this arrogance of okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get what I want and 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 uh, the courage to do those things. And now that he's wrestled with God and he's gotten the blessing, can I prove any of this? No, I'm 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 not gonna be a stickler for for this theology. I just see a Jacob now that may have realized that hey, I'm immortal and hey, I I I'm not all that in a bag of chips. And I think fear has more gripped him than anything until he meets up with Esau. Because I think, I think his mortality and, and the fact of what he is has finally hit him. Now again, can I prove any of it? I, you know, it's just my opinion from reading the scriptures. But that's kind of what I got from it. Mark, what do you think? Stupidness. Um, literally, you said he's not all that in a bag of chips. And I went to thinking that he was probably some disgusting lentil meal that he would have eaten. And a bag of uh, sour or uh, salt and vinegar chips. He's a pretty nasty dude. Yeah. Do you not like salt and vinegar chips? They're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why they're chips. A lot of people love them, but well, salt and vinegar like, chips are very like, popular. Like Jacob. I mean, glad God used them, but not my cup of tea. <laughs> From here, though, we see Jacob. He meets up with Esau. Esau. You know, if you were watching this on a movie or a TV show, you definitely aren't expecting Esau to come up and hug him. And I think he even kisses him. You know, it's just 
really seems all around delighted to see his brother Jacob that stole his birthright and his blessing. Wants to spend time with him, it seems like. So Jacob, though, ends up separating from him. Deceives him, really, I believe. Uh, kind of said he'd be right behind him, and then he was like, yeah, I'm going to go over here to this other place instead. And just kind of goes off, sets up his own way. Sorry, I kicked the table. My mic was shaking. <laughs> so from there, we see... One of Jacob's daughters is, I believe the word is shamed. They say she was shamed by one of the, was she a hit? Was it a Hittite man? By a Hittite man, and uh, some some radical justice has brought upon them. So we see Jacob goes off his own way. He's not right behind his brother Esau, like he says. And they set up tent and essentially stables, I guess, or or to call, call it something. I I have to look it up, but. Uh, you know, for the animals to be in and everything. And one of the Hittite men, as the Bible describes it, shames his daughter, uh, lays with her. We would call that rape today. And that's what I was about to get to. I I believe, yeah, he, he raped her. Mm-hmm. He forced himself upon her. And Jacob is not happy with this, and neither are uh, his sons, her brothers. But yet still, this Hittite goes to his father and says, hey, get this woman for my wife. Next episode, we can go into that ra- the radical justice that Jacob's sons bring upon these people for what they do to their sister. Radical. And that I mean, that would be there would be, we 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 use that text or term loose in in our culture. Uh, we would have like this is a wild form of justice, not like you know I just did the perfect ollie or did some really cool skateboard trick when I used to use the term radical. Um, it's not like this is great. Um, there's a little part of me that would much, there's a part of me that's not unhappy with the form of justice that happens. I'm going to have to be honest, but uh, yeah, it is, it is pretty extreme in regards to radical. And then with Jacob's response, which is kind of surprising. Yes. So we'll, we would definitely have our work cut out for us next episode. That'll do it for this episode of the Hall of Tyrannus podcast. We hope you guys join us next time as we continue in the life of Jacob. This is Jim, who's glad that God is still on his throne. I'm also very happy that God is on his throne. Hope through all of our babbling and conversations and uh, back and forthness with our conversations, which much reminds me of my own ADD you know, kind of conversations here that everybody can follow through and enjoy the podcast nonetheless. This is Eric with the Hall of Tyrannus podcast. Join us next time. Mm-hmm.